0: At that point, it was like, I'm gonna do this, right? Like I'm actually gonna be a world record holder in, in you know seven minutes. If this little weird story can can give somebody the idea to to try something fun to stay active, hey, that's perfect.
1: That was Stefan Reimer, and this is episode fifty-six of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner.
2: Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life.
1: Today, we had the pleasure of interviewing brand new Guinness World Record holder, Stefan Reimer. Stefan is a 32-year-old phys ed teacher and accomplished runner with a marathon PB of 237. So naturally, when he discovered that the world record for dribbling a basketball while running a marathon was three hours, he knew he had to go after it. Stefan was ultimately successful in this quirky but seriously challenging pursuit in the Manitoba Marathon, crossing the finish line in an impressive 250-33 and beating the previous record by almost 10 minutes. In this episode, we discuss how the idea came about and why he was reluctant to tell his running friends about it, the hoops he had to jump through, pun intended, to ensure that Guinness would ratify the record, what his training look like? The critical mistake he made on race day that almost cost him the record. What a basketball looks like after over 10,000 dribbles and why it was important to him to involve his four kids ages 10 and under in his fueling plan. Never in his wildest dreams did Stefan imagine his efforts would gain much attention other than perhaps with small local news outlets. So he got a real kick out of runner's world reaching out for an interview. We'll include the link to that great article in the show notes. And now on our conversation with Stefan Reimer. Well, Stefan, welcome to Inspired Souls and thanks for making the time to chat with us tonight.
0: Not a problem.
1: We normally start the show, there are standard kind of operating procedures as we start the show by getting, you know, your origin story and... Uh, you know, and hearing all the way up until your present day. But with you, we thought we would flip the script because what you just accomplished recently with your running is just so epic and so unusual that we felt it most appropriate to start there. So you just, um, very recently on September 5th in the Manitoba marathon, you, broke the guinness world record for the fastest marathon while dribbling a basketball shaving almost 10 minutes off the previous record so how about we just start with what in the world prompted you to go after this record
0: yeah so i've been i've been kind of joking around that it was totally a, a covid crazy at home moment there was just a lack of races it was a uh I wouldn't say a spontaneous decision, but just a quick decision it, it, it was something that I just needed something to train for. I'm a competitive guy uh, I love competing, uh, competed in lots of sports growing up and uh, to have no races like i i for me I love running, but i love I love training for something. I need a goal I need a race to be to be competing in and uh without without any of that on the horizon it was it was uh, it was getting harder to, to wake up in the morning uh, to get out the door for that run. And uh, this little quirky world record thing was always like, hey, let's, if it gives me motivation to get up those couple extra times a week to get out the door for that run, like let's, let's, uh, let's do it. And uh, things just started falling into place.
2: So there were no races. You were feeling a little bit unfocused, like you needed a challenge. So again, I'm curious, why basketball? Were you naturally a, a talented um, basketball player as well as runner? Or what brought you to the point of deciding to run while dribbling a ball for a couple hours?
0: Yeah, well, I'm a phys ed teacher um, and someone who also grew up playing sports my entire life. Played basketball in high school along with yeah, a number of other sports. And then continued on doing did a little bit of coaching after high school and a little bit of refereeing as well. So a ball is something that that is comfortable to me. Um, I obviously still teach it lots in school uh, to my grade one to fours. So I've I've never been too far away from a basketball. Running is my main sport now, so it was just a fun little 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 crossover thing. Yeah, I I love basketball, and our basketball coach in high school would make us like do our uh, do our do our lines and our, our workouts sometimes our running workouts with a basketball. Um, And so it was kind of one of those things was like, well, let's see if, you know, if I can, if I can run, I think I'd be able to be comfortable with it. And so after going on, on uh, one run with a ball uh, earlier this summer, I'm like, no, I think I can comfortably still run with a ball and now just work on it a bit and really work on getting comfortable dribbling for a long time with it.
1: So I can see, okay, I like basketball. I'm a phys ed teacher. I love running. I'm going to marry these two things because I've done that before. I can see all of that. At what point did you go? I wonder if there's a world record for this. Like it would never, ever occur to me to go and check to see if there was a world record. So how did that come into the picture?
0: It was actually exactly the opposite way around, where I was actually just skimming through the Guinness World Records just to see what kind of quirky world records there are out there. Uh, and obviously, there's lots of running world records, uh, lots of marathon records dressed up like a doctor or like wearing rubber boots or whatever, they're dressed up like a veggie or something, whatever. There's lots of weird things like that. But for me, it was like, hey, if I'm going to, and, and I love the Guinness World Record. I mean, I grew up as a kid reading the Guinness Book of World Records. Like, is just what something I did? And I, I enjoy skimming through them now and then. No. So, to decide then that, that that was the one I wanted to do, it was one of those, like, I wanted to pick, if I was going to do something, I wanted to pick something that was actually going to be like a challenge and actually be like skill based mm-hmm. and, and nothing mm-hmm. against the, the world records that are dressed up in costumes and this and that, because there's some amazing ones out there. But I wanted to do a, a, a skill based one, not just a dress up one. And so uh, there's a couple out there. There's actually my, my main sport that I actually love is soccer, and there is a dribbling a soccer ball one as well. Um, but I just figured let's uh, it'd be easier to go between training for running and a bas and then training with a basketball than with a soccer ball because that the your oh. steps is just so important. Yeah, yes. um, And so I was able to get in a nice rhythm with basketball and. So no, it wasn't, it wasn't a matter of merging the sports and then defining the record. It was more finding the record Ah. and being, I think that's something I can do.
1: Okay. So when you looked at the record, what was it, uh, if you don't mind sort of like, what was the previous record before yours and what made you say, Ooh, I think I could better that record.
0: So the record was three hours and 25 seconds, which was, you know, that's, it's fast. Like a lot of people like three hour marathons is is nothing to sneeze at. Mm -hmm. Like it's, that's, that's a, that's fast. And then to, to be focusing on a ball the whole entire time is, is something completely different. I mean, it wasn't that many years ago where, where a three-hour marathon was my PR. Right. Um, and so I looked at it and being like, okay, I want to go out for a run or two with a ball. And then before I finally decide, but the application process for Guinness is actually quite long. Uh, it's a three-month at least process where you apply and then get approved to at least give it a try. Uh, so I applied for it long even before deciding, like, I think it was like middle of winter last year when I applied for it, figuring, hey, if there's no races yet, in the summer and whatever we'll maybe give this a go and then got approved or in spring sometime yeah no and then went out for a run or two and we're like no i think i can do this if i put my mind to it and like stay focused it was one of those things where you just don't know what the last couple miles are going to be like yeah like going out for a for a 5k with a basketball okay yeah i can do that and i can stay focused the whole time but what's it going to be like at 30k at 35k when you're hitting that that wall physically and mentally yeah. because of running. And then, so that was kind of the wild card of it all. But I figured, you know what, three hours, I think, I, you know, my PR without a ball is 237. So I figured, you know what, I got 23 minutes to give. I think I can probably pull this off.
1: Yeah. Okay. So a three hour marathon. I just did a little bit of math here. A three hour and 25 second marathon is a 416 per kilometer pace. Yeah. And then your 237 marathon is more like a 343 per kilometer pace. So yeah. you had like over 30 seconds per kilometer yeah. to play with. So when you started going out on your dry runs and dribbling the basketball while running, you felt fairly confident that you could still. Be within that thirty second yeah. buffer. Is that kind of how you made the decision?
0: That's how I made the decision. and Sorry, I'm I my mind is still in, in minute miles. Oh, and so if we're yeah, gonna do, I don't do miles. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know if we want to retake that question again. I love the question, but I'm just no. Like so, you tell me I, what so it is in school. miles. Like really yeah.
1: um educate me because my brain does not work in miles.
0: Yeah. So the record was at I got to do my math here too, but the record was at three hours, and so it that's about a six fifty minute mile. I think would have similar ish. Yeah, and my PR is is at a is that a, is that right at a six minute mile? Um, and so I figured somewhere in there, there's, there's time to give a lot of my training runs. Well, every single time I went up for a ball, I was pretty well bang on, um, right about a 6:40, And I knew I'd need to run about a 6:45 or whatever it was somewhere in there to to beat the world record. And so I'm like, Hey, we're close. And I, and I just, just thought, you know how it is when you get out to the race, there's people out there, you're going to run a little faster. And I figured that that would carry me, um, to, to for sure be able to, to get closer to the, you know, drop quite a bit of time off. That way I would have time to give if things completely fell apart at the end of the race.
1: Yeah. So uh, leading up to this marathon, because we're still in COVID, aren't we? And like all the, yeah. all the races have been canceled for the last year and a half. And like, how certain were you even that this one would go? Like, it, did that factor into your training where you sort of like, oh man, this, like, I hope this race goes.
0: A little bit. Yeah. And 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 the crazy part about this is I only decided to like actually that I was going to do this basketball thing probably about a month and a half before race day where it was like okay, no this is what I'm going to do and so by that point I was pretty certain that that the race was going to happen I had been in communication with Rachel Monday the the race director um, about if it was going to happen or not um, what her general vibes were and you know things were at that time in the province things were things were coming coming down in the right direction with in terms of restrictions and stuff Um, she was pretty confident things were going to happen and so, you know, I, I, even without races, I, I like staying in shape and being, being race ready that way, you know, in a month, month and a half, I can be ready to go, um, mm-hmm. uh, during the summer months. So yeah, it was, it was one of those things where, where if it wasn't going to happen, I was going to be okay with it too, because up on, I hadn't really told anyone about it until probably two weeks, <laughs> two, three weeks before the race, <laughs> I hadn't told the soul that I was going to be going to be attempting this besides the kind of my family and a couple of close friends that one actually mostly because I wasn't sure how the running community was going to react. Um, I have a lot of, a lot of running friends and they're you know, I, I just didn't know how it was going to be right. Like, runners can be quite purist because it is such a pure, simple sport. It's just running. Mm-hmm. Right. And so now you're adding something to running. It's like, well, now it's not running anymore. So I wasn't sure how they're going to react, but no support was fantastic. And, and it was a fun little quirky thing to do to, to put some smiles on people's faces.
2: So I'm kind of chuckling to myself because you say here, you didn't tell anybody you were doing this yet. You live in a small town and you had to train at some (laughs) point with a basketball. (laughs) So like, how did you manage to hide that fact? Did you run Uh, at three o'clock in the morning or how did you approach training for this race in only a few short months?
0: Yeah. So again, like I mentioned my, my training schedule, I was kind of just training to be ready for, to be ready for a race. But when I decided like a month and a half kind of beforehand, could have been closer to two months that I was kind of going to do this. I would go out for about yeah one, maybe two training runs with a ball a week. And uh, it was a little, the first one where I kind of like went more into town. I live just outside of town, just off of a, of a paved road. So it is still quite rural. Uh, so I was able to run that a couple of times. I can easily run back and forth a couple of times, get a 5k out of it uh, without you know, letting too many people know. But, but the first time I went into town, it was like, the looks that I was getting, it was, it was quite price, priceless. Um, the people that know me were like, Oh, Stefan's just trying something new, you know, whatever. He's always up to something. Um, right. Trying to, and I had a couple people asked me and it was like, you know, like just try to switch up my workout routine, get, get creative, do something fun. Cause I was just, I wasn't sure if I was going to do it or not. I didn't want to like tell everyone I'm going for this world record when all of a sudden things would fall apart yet. So no, it was, a, it was a fun little, fun little thing. And my family kept encouraging me to, to try it and stuff like that too. And so,
2: Except that you would, uh, people would pass you going into the grocery store and, you know, an hour later they come out and, hmm, he's still running.
0: Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this isn't
2: just no. a, a few minutes, is, he's out there over and over. Yeah. So, um, now, so you said you, you ran with the basketball a few times a week you know, I'm just, I'm curious, like you said, you ran on pavement, obviously. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm interested in all the things like we have, we've had a pretty dry, warm summer, but did rain become a factor? Did, did different weather conditions become a factor or was it fairly predictable for you to train outside?
0: Um, yeah. So I went on about one or two a week, uh, training runs with my ball and yeah, I did have to change things up a little bit. Like if it, Whatever, if wind. it was raining, obviously I couldn't go. Wind was a very interesting one. And that was one where I didn't mm-hmm. see that coming. Um, but the way I dribbled the ball going against wind and with wind was completely different. You know, going against wind, I had to push that ball out a little further
1: mm-hmm.
0: than I would coming. And it would go against wind. It was always kind of coming back against my chest the whole time. And I had to really focus on keeping it away. The one thing that we don't have a lot of in Manitoba is the hills. Um, but mm-hmm. we have the one, we have a one decent, well, it, it's a Manitoba hill in Blumenart that we have. So I ran up and down that one a couple times as well, just to get used to, you know, BDI bridge, right, on the marathon course. It's a slight incline, decline, mm-hmm. but that one, obviously, there too, I'm dribbling completely different, going uphill and downhill
1: and i would imagine these are things you you have to just learn through your trial and error right because there's no like best practices there's no like john stanton book on how to <laughs> how to run a marathon while dribbling a basketball right did you ever phone up the other guy who has it the other guy who has the record That's at uh, 3 hours
0: no i didn't no um i didn't ask him at all i watched his video cuz it has to be po- you have to post the video for Guinness to be able to see And so I had watched a bit of his video and saw how he did it. And it was similar to what I was doing by far. The hardest challenge was dealing with the road conditions, because if there was a little crack in the road, a little, just a little bobble in the way that they poured the pavement that affected the ball. And so every single dribble I was putting the ball down had to make sure that it wasn't near crack, right. That it wasn't near puddle, that it was just by itself running straight. And that was, I realized that I was focusing on it a lot during the marathon, but going back and watching my race later, it was like, wow, like literally every dribble is within a foot of a crack because the roads in Winnipeg are terrible. Yeah, <laughs> uh, our, win- our winters here are, take a toll on the roads. And it's just, would it have been a whole lot easier to do it down in Dallas? Yeah, probably. But yeah. you no, know, that was part of the part of the fun of doing it here. And yeah, embracing that challenge.
2: I'm also curious about temperature and not just how you felt running physiologically in the temperature, more how did... You know, you ran in September of the race, so it was cooler then, but how did surface temperature and potentially ball-like bounce change when it was hot versus cool? Did you notice a difference there, like after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dribbles, or was it really not a factor?
0: Do you know what? I don't think I noticed it too much. The one thing, when I, when I was going out on hotter runs, and I was sweating a lot, and then because I'm looking down at the ball, uh, the sweat was getting in my eyes mm. and I'm not used to having that. So I was, I was ready to to wear a headband if it was going to be a warm day. One, like it wasn't too hot, mm-hmm. but that's, I normally don't run with a sweatband, but that was the one thing that I noticed was, was really bugging me with, was sweating the eyes on the warm days. Cause I was, I was looking down, not looking up like I normally would.
1: Well, talk to us about that. That's, that was one of my questions is like, I can only imagine in, as I think about doing something like this of, of, would you get mentally tired from focusing on the ball? Cause I imagine you can't really look up a whole lot. Like I bet you had loads of people cheering for you, but it's not like you're making eye contact with them because you've got to keep Mm -hmm. your eye on the ball. Did that get mentally draining on top of the obvious physical drain that, that anyone would have during a marathon?
0: Yeah. So it was actually a lot harder uh, mentally on training runs. I enjoy getting out on, on, on morning runs just to clear my brain, to not think about anything. Yeah. To make sure I'm on pace, but just to get out and just enjoy an hour by myself, um, thinking about whatever I want to think about. Um, And I think it was on my third run where I came back and I told my wife, do you know what? I'm bored. Like Mm -hmm. it's focusing on a monotonous activity Mm -hmm. for, for 45 minutes. It was like work, right? It wasn't just going out on a relaxing, peaceful run. And so that's what I actually noticed more than, more than the mental toll it took on me was that it was just getting boring yeah. and it was like hey am i really actually ready to do this so that's when i decided okay hey, i'm only gonna do one maybe two runs a week with the ball um just to make sure i can do it get comfortable with it but no on race day i mean you're attempting to get us rolled back. it was race. it was <laughs> that that wasn't um <laughs> that wasn't the mental drainage wasn't really the side of wasn't really affected at all but no people cheering me on was a challenge yeah. um where i lost Mm-hmm. had, you know, not, not major baubles, but like slight baubles a couple of times where I would look up to try to acknowledge a fan or like someone, someone cheering me on, but it was like, no, just keep your head down, put a little hand up give them a thumbs up, whatever that like you heard them. But, but, uh, I had to keep my eyes down on the, on the ball yeah. or else I was, yeah.
1: Yeah. I just as you were talking there I was thinking I'm not sure if you've read the book Endure by Alex Hutchinson but no, he talks haven't. about yes, that Caroline. like these studies that they do where they mentally fatigue yeah. a person prior to a run and then have them go out and and complete a hard workout or whatever and uh Okay,
0: I've read some of those studies, yeah.
1: Yeah, and yeah. it's it's harder they don't perform as well because of that drain that kind of cognitive load that they're carrying over from Mm -hmm. the the boring task or whatever so I couldn't help but think oh I wonder how much that impacts you here like it would almost be the same thing
0: yeah it was hard yeah I had to just set my mind on training runs that like hey you're doing this you're gonna go out there you're gonna complete the mileage that you want to with the ball at the pace um but by the end it was it was harder I brought out uh my kids on on a couple of my shorter runs just to change things up have them along they were biking beside me and stuff like that to keep things light and whatever but on marathon race day i was dialed in i was excited i was smiling pretty well the whole way uh it was just a good time and and uh there the mental fatigue didn't hit
1: yeah and and i had just one more like um question about like, how do you take in nutrition? Like when you got to the tables or whomever you had out there passing you mm-hmm. stuff, um, like how do you open a gel while you're dribbling a basketball? Like tell us all about the, the ins and outs of taking in your fueling and hydration.
0: So that's one that I practiced. Uh, that was my biggest concern was the, the, the nutrition. Yeah, the, the fluid stations. I had my kids, because of COVID, there wasn't just uh, people handing out water on the road. Um, it was all fill your own bottle. Um, and so if you wanted to have your own stuff, you had to have someone on the course supplying Mm -hmm. it to you. And so I had, uh, had my family at one spot where they were able to get me twice in a short amount of time. Um, and a friend of mine at another spot on the course, uh, where he was also able to get twice. And then it was a two loop course. So I got eight stops, uh, or eight, eight places times that I could grab. So I had it all mapped out as to where I wanted what. And, uh, no, we practiced it beforehand. So the whole race, I was doing a crossover dribble. So alternating between my right hand and my left hand. And then at these at the fluid stations, I had to switch to dribbling with one hand. Mm. Um, the reason I was doing, this, uh, crossovers, was because I could nicely, every mm. three steps was able to just nicely get in a rhythm and just rhythmically keep a rhythm going. And so then switching over to, to one hand. That right away threw that off um and so it was it it looked silly how how i was dribbling and trying to run and i'm sure whatever yeah it looked ridiculous but um so i grabbed grabbed the waters and the gels uh the gels my kids gave them to me already opened those i was actually able to just put into my mouth and kind of just stuck and keep dribbling with both hands
2: that's actually impressive I can't suck out of a gel without well, one hand squishing it up from the bottom. So
0: that's awesome. Yeah, you suck and then the squeeze and then the suck and yeah. the squeeze, right? You kind of just keep, uh, <laughs> keep, keep going at it that way. Oh, but uh, no, it was it was a challenge. And again, the, the the thought was I would have a couple minutes to spare under the world record. And so I had already discussed with, with the family that and my, and my biker that was in front of me that if worse came to worse and I just needed to take on stuff and it wasn't working that I could go down to a walk Mm -hmm. and and take on because I knew I'd have a couple minutes. And so if I was going to burn 10 seconds, I could burn 10 seconds.
2: It's better to burn 10 seconds than lose the ball and have it all over, right? Yeah, lose the
0: ball or miss a a fluid or something like that. I actually missed my first gel with just a bad handoff and I was going, oh boy, here we go. This is going to be a long morning. (laughs) But I was able to get the second one shortly after. They were You're familiar with the racetrack in St. Patel Park where we kind of went into St. Patel Park and then came back out. I think a mile and a half of racing, but they're only about two, three hundred meters apart yeah. where you come in and out of the park. So I was able to get it then uh, on the exit to the park. So it worked out.
2: That's awesome. So let's go a little bit, you know, back into the whole. Guinness Book of World Record process. Can you tell us a bit more about the application process and then what actually had to happen for this to be recognized? You know, did you have a video crew following you? Did you have, how did you have to document it in order for it to be recognized?
0: Yeah, so like I mentioned, I applied back in December or January um, to break the record. Um, And then you get approved to attempt it. um, And they send you the list of everything that you need. It was like at least a full page of everything that you needed to do, Um, which, you know, it seems like a big task, but it's like I completely respect Guinness for doing it. you got to protect the integrity of the records. If you are the world record keeper for for everything, because they are, uh, you Mm -hmm. have to have you have to have some sort of um, pretty strict rules to to be able to make sure the integrity of your records are are kept. The main things I had to do um, was I had to get two witness statements saying that I did it, one of which had to be a certified basketball official. And so I had a basketball official on the bike um, watching me the whole time. And the other one was from from the race director, just saying that I started, I finished, the timing was correct, the course was measured, all that kind of stuff. So those are the two witness statements I had to do. But the amount of stuff I had to submit, I had to submit the receipts of the basketball that I bought just to make sure that was legal. I had the whole thing video recorded. That wasn't a must, but it was just highly recommended. I had the ref biking with me anyway, so I just put a GoPro camera on the back of the bike to film me while I was dribbling. If ever I did, and, th- and that was, a, I guess, the gracious part from Guinness, that if ever I did lose a dribble or stop dribbling, um, I just had to go back to where I lost the ball oh, okay. I was or committed to the violation, about that. which, you know, the referee had to know the rules beforehand. And so whenever I, if ever I would screw up, they just had to point out the violation and tell me to go back. Now, again, I'm a Basketball official myself, at least I did for for three or four years, and so I know what's a, i know what's allowed and what's not. So I was pretty safe that okay, this I screwed up, I can go back. I had one, uh I had one time where I had to start over. Just um,
1: once in the entire marathon. Just
0: once. Oh. I lost the ball, or I kind of had bad dribbles where I hit a crack and it it kept bouncing, but I was able to kind of keep the ball alive, kind of just running sideways a little bit. I had that two or three times. Yeah. But I only had one time where I actually had to pick up my dribble and kind of start again. Okay. Um, I okay. was lucky enough that the ball went completely sideways and i didn't have to go back Mm -hmm. um but it still definitely i was running with two other people at the time and i was in the lead of them and then i lost the ball and then when i started running again i was probably about two or three seconds behind so i lost two or three seconds out of it um but wasn't too big of a deal it was just one again a situation where i didn't see a little crack in the road it bounced up too high uh and then when i dribbled pushed it back down it was too close to my body and it bounced off my shin and Mm -hmm. away it went
1: and did you use a brand new ball on race day? Like, did, would that have made a difference? Did the ball get kind of beaten up during, I don't know, like how, how does a basketball <laughs> fare after being dribbled for, I think I saw in one of your social media posts, um, over 10,000 times. Is that correct?
0: I, I did the math on that one and just divided by the amount of steps I had, divided by three uh, to give an approximate amount. And it was just over 10,000 dribbles. And, and that's to answer your question about how the ball wear it up, hold uh, up and not too well. It was oh. it was trashed by the end. Get out! Um, Interesting. It was uh, it looked like I, yeah, it looked like it had been used for three years, not three hours. I mean, ten thousand dribbles on hard pavement yeah. and asphalt. And yeah, stuff it's like not that. a it,
2: basketball court out there. It's yeah. just not a
0: it's not a hardwood court. No, um, so no, I did start with a brand new ball. Um, <laughs> funny story about that one. So I had a spare ball along that had been, that I'd used in some of my training runs that the, my biker was going to carry just in case I had a flat or something went wrong that I'd have another ball ready to go. So I had that one with, but you know, in preparation for marathons, I always kind of, I have my standard list of things I bring along to a race Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, checking everything off the night before the morning, rechecked everything packed up left. So I live about 40 minutes from the start line. We were about halfway to the race when I realized that I had forgotten my basketball because it was not on my standard list of oh, things no. to bring along to a race <laughs> and so it was a quick turnaround we got to get back and so instead of arriving like an hour before the race i arrived about 30 minutes before the Ooh, race geez. and uh was, you know it was just it was a bit of a you know heartbeat skipper
1: yeah but
0: uh we managed to get there in time and i got the warm up in and and it was, uh, ended up being okay, but it was like, okay, what else could go wrong on race morning? That would be about the worst. <laughs> You're going to set a world record for dribbling basketball and you don't have a basketball. And if um, you had so... have
1: used an older basketball, like let's say you had one of your training ones in your trunk, like would that have been allowed from the record standpoint or did it have to be a new
0: Yeah, game? I had the receipt. Like I bought, yes. I bought, uh, I bought a couple balls when I did go by. Um, and so that one was the same ball as part of that batch. So I had the receipts to be good. Okay. Uh, that would have been good for that, but, uh, I thought about it for a second. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be late. I have a ball here that I could dribble with what's worth it. And it, what's worth it. And I, we definitely turned around and, Oh my and went back to get the new ball. Just, I didn't know. Right. One thing goes wrong and there goes yeah. the record. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so, and, uh, it was worth ripping back and getting the ball for.
2: Okay. So let's, <laughs> let's talk about your hands for a minute. Most people are worried about their feet during a marathon. You also had to worry about your hands. So, you know, I'm curious about a few things. You know, how did your hands hold up? How did your fingernails hold up? You know, we worry about losing toenails after <laughs> yeah. running. Did you, did you lose a fingernail or two from jamming? Did your hands blister? Did you wear gloves? I'm really curious about how you protected your hands.
0: It went well. I was, I was concerned about, about the hands, about the, arm, the forearms from just dribbling a ball for that long. You know, I've played in basketball games. You know, I've dribbled lots of basketball before. But I, yeah, I wasn't sure how it was going to be, but no, the hands held up fine. I didn't have any real issues with blisters or, or fingernails or anything like that. And even the forearms, like they held up for dribbling a ball for three hours. I, I was just, I, I again, I wasn't sure how it was going to be. Um, I had gone on a 17 mile run with the basketball, but that's as long as I had gone. Um, and so I knew that I was good till there in terms of my arms after that. Yeah, I didn't know, but uh, it worked out.
1: That's awesome. We should have, you know, put this up at the top or, or I guess we did in the intro, but you were able to accomplish your goal and you Mm. ended up finishing in a, like, this is just an unbelievable time of two hours, 50 minutes and 33 seconds, which was almost like just a little bit shy of, um, beating the old record by 10 minutes. So Mm I was wondering if you were worried at any point that the record was slipping away or that you couldn't do it. Like, did you have any lows? Like often it's sort of between that 35 and 40 K where all marathoners kind of go, Oh, can I really do this? Like, was there ever any struggles at all during the race?
0: Um, It actually went pretty much like clockwork. I wouldn't say that there was no wall um, that I, that I didn't struggle at all in terms of did I ever think I wasn't going to get the record during the race? No, that never, that didn't really ever set in. I was starting, obviously I was starting to fatigue later on in the race and I, and I felt like I was running a lot slower, but every time, you know, each mile that passed, look at the watch, no, my splits. Okay. My splits. Okay. Every single one. And so everything, yeah, went according to <laughs> went pretty well, according to plan. And once I, I passed my family one more time at, at, uh, as we just turned onto onto university Crescent at about mile 25, I passed him. I looked down at my watch. And at that point it was like, I'm going to do this, right? <laughs> like I'm actually going to be a world record holder in, in you know, seven minutes. And so, yeah, that was kind of the first moment. Where it was like, it's actually going to happen. Uh, but until then, it's like, "Yeah, hey, you never know what's going to go yeah. wrong. Right. You're, you you never
2: know. And a marathon,
0: like you never know, right. You can be feeling great. And then all of a sudden the next moment, boom, it's, it's, it's done. Yeah. Right. And, and things can fall apart on you. And so marathon is an unpredictable beast. And, it was, yeah, it was until about mile 25 where it was like, Hey, I'm actually going to do this. It's going to work. And so.
1: That must've been an awesome run in down, uh, University Avenue and Chancellor Matheson, because just for people listening, the way that it worked, like the, um, that you marathoners started first. And, and then I think an hour later, the half marathoners started, and then there was a couple waves of 10 K people. So by the time you were finishing, there were all kinds of people on the course, like not, not a ton, but just, there were lots of people around. Mm -hmm. And I saw a video on your social media where you were passing people like they were standing still. Like, and it was just, I just wonder what it would be like, uh, like to be a person like coming in on your 10K or coming in on your half marathon, giving it yeah. all. And then this guy comes traveling along. <laughs> and I just picture that that would be so demoralizing or maybe that's just me. But did you get any funny looks from other participants?
0: Yeah. And so that is exactly the way it happens at Matthew Marathon. Even more so this year, because of the staggered starts that I was for the really... From mile 15 on, I was slowly passing half marathoners for the rest of the route. There was another people who just didn't say anything because they're focused and they're doing their own thing. And I don't know what was going on through their heads. It might have been exactly that. <laughs> um, but there was also a lot of people, uh, so many people that were like, hey, it's a basketball guy. Like, oh, yeah, you're doing it. You know, like a lot of, you know, words of like, yeah, that's cool. You know, keep it up. So there was a lot of support, a lot of support that's out awesome. there. And I uh, tried to encourage them as they're going through their lows and and stuff like that to say kind of word on the way by as well if I could um, just to <laughs> acknowledge that what they were doing I mean that's the beauty boat running is that you can be super fast you can be a finisher and if, if you finish if you complete something that that is uh, yeah that was a challenge for you you know mm-hmm. good on you yeah. I, I commend you and, and I celebrate you and so no all those half marathon finishers that that I was passing even right up until the finish line I hope they didn't feel demoralized. Uh, I hope they were able to enjoy their victory as much as I was enjoying mine.
2: <laughs> there were probably a few whiskey tango fox trauma <laughs> out there, but also probably a few, like you said, people who knew what was happening and like, yeah. wow, like this is so cool. I'm a part of history, yeah. seeing this, witnessing this event. So um, as a physiotherapist, I'm a little bit curious about the biomechanics of this whole event, and I'm curious to know if you felt – any different running with the basketball versus running without? Like I'm thinking about your core and your back. And I'm just wondering if different muscles were sore at the end or if you're just so well trained, you felt great. Hmm. Where did you land at the end of that run?
0: So I def- I actually had a bit of a cramp in my sh- like in my shoulder, hmm. my left shoulder pretty early, probably miles, six, seven, eight, somewhere in there. Lasted for a couple minutes. And I was going like, this is pretty early to be. Yeah, <laughs> to be having some trouble. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it passed probably about a mile. And uh, other than that, like I I felt while I was running in the last little bit that my reaction time to like a slightly bad bounce wasn't as good. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of perfectly coming up where the ball normally does, if it was even like, you know, like five, ten centimeters off, my reaction time wasn't getting quite where it was. Um, so I was, I was cognitive enough to notice that that was happening. And I was getting tired. Like yeah. your body, after running that long, is, is obviously getting tired. Yeah. Um, and and then later watching the video, um, I didn't notice this while running, but in watching the video, my arms were not coming up as high when I wasn't dribbling.
1: Mm.
0: Normally, you know, they're still up at the chest level, um, and they were like barely clearing the hip mm. by the end. Like it was when I wasn't dribbling the ball, the arms were staying down, which tells me they were, which tells me they were tired. They're I wasn't bad. feeling it. And <laughs> the next day, I felt it more in my legs than I did in my arms. But I could definitely tell in watching the video that the arms were getting tired by the end compared to where they were at the beginning.
2: Which is understandable. It completely it's understandable. Yeah. <laughs> You'd yeah. be expected.
0: After dribbling for three hours, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, Runner's World magazine wrote a really good piece on you after this whole thing wrapped up. Yeah. And I think you got a, some media attention from other places as well. So I was curious if you um, ever imagined it would kind of gain the attention that it has.
0: Do you know what? No. I, again, like I mentioned, I didn't even know I was going to do this until and telling other people mm-hmm. uh, only two weeks ahead of time. This was, this was strictly a goal. It's strictly, I should say this was strictly something that I did for my, for myself to get me up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't doing this as a way to gain attention or a way to yeah get my name in the news or anything like that. This was a way for me when that alarm went off in the morning to, okay, I'm going to be setting a world record in a couple of weeks. Let's get up and train. Yeah. And so that's what it was for. Um, and then, you know, I expected, like, if I was going to break it to maybe get a couple of little local, like the style local Stymac news here and like little things like that would might find it interesting. But like, cr- yeah, crossing the finish line and there's like immediately like four or five mics in my face. Yeah. I didn't see that. And then and then a couple of days later to have Runner's World reach out and ask for an interview was kind of like. Okay. This this is now, you know, it, it's a story now.
2: And now you're on Inspired Souls Podcast. Like <laughs> how much bigger, bigger could yeah. you yeah.
0: get?
1: Dreams really do come yeah. true. Yeah.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> so yeah. but honestly, as, as as awesome as that media attention is, your kids and your and your wife, I'm sure, must have just thought that dad is like the most amazing hero ever to do this. Am I, am I correct? Like, did they think it was pretty cool?
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they just know me as, as their husband, as their husband and and, and dad. And so this is just another quirky thing dad's doing, (laughs) but uh, no, it's, it's, it's pretty fun to do this. And and for me, like getting my kids involved uh, in giving me the bottles and stuff, there was one time too, I know my biker uh, was like, should I just grab the bottle? That way we for sure get a clean handoff and give it to you. I'm like, no, I want, Mm -hmm. like, even if I screw up on this handoff, I want my kids involved um and so you know for me to be able to you know potentially inspire someone else you know to come up with weird ways to keep fit in in fun ways to find a new challenge that's quirky and whatever man i love it if if, that's what i told the guy on runner's world too you know like if, if this if this little weird story can can give somebody the idea to to try something fun to stay active hey that's perfect
1: yeah and what about your students? They must be like, "Wow, I have the coolest phys ed teacher ever." <laughs> what was it like going to school on Tuesday morning after well, that rest?
0: That's exactly it, eh? Some of the kids hadn't heard about it, and so you know it was cool to, to, to share the story. Um, but no, it's for the most part, you know, they love watching like like Dude Perfect and stuff like that, set all these weird records and this and that on on YouTube and stuff. And now their phys ed teacher was setting the world record, so. <sighs> I mean, it, it's it's pretty cool. I, I love again if I can inspire them to to stay active and do some fun stuff. Yeah. that's that's what it's about.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, and you've mentioned a few times that you know you you kind of picked it up at the last minute. It was maybe a month and a half. Is that is that? What you said, like yeah. kind of a month and a half. So I'm guessing that you had a fair amount of base fitness because there's not that many people that can just decide a month and a mm-hmm. half out from a marathon, especially a 250 marathon, <laughs> to just go out and, and run it. So I did also see on social media that on July 31st of this year, you completed your first hundred K. Yeah. Uh, so tell us how that came about. Um, why did you decide to take on the mighty 100K challenge? And how did it go for you?
0: So bit of backstory to that one. You thought a month and a half heads up was short notice. Wait till you hear this. <laughs> so, <laughs>
2: I'm not surprised you're talking to the ultra runner.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Eh? No, bit of backstory there. So I grew up, whatever, I'm a, I'm a Mennonite farm boy. Love my heritage. I love I love that side of things. So last year, again with no races and everything, a couple of my running friends from um from the Samac area, um also fellow Mennonites, discovered that like there's a location called Mennonite Landing, just uh so it's kind of between Niverville and santa Agath. It's where the Red River and the Rat River come together. It's where the Mennonites first came out of the water uh and said, We're gonna establish land here. And from that location to Steinbach was like pretty well exactly forty two kilometers. Um, and so it was like, oh, we're going to do what's called the Mennonite Marathon. Um, and so we did it exactly on the anniversary, August 1st of, of the Mennonite landing. Uh, and then this year kind of came along and, and it was like, well, what are we going to do this year? And it was literally a week before, before that weekend, the August 1st weekend, that it was like, hey, I'm thinking about running 100K. Do you want to join me? And I'm like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Um, and so, you know, I was, yeah, I was trading about hundred K a week and it was like, okay, hey, quick little taper and let's see if we can run hundred K. So we started, yeah, we started at Mennonite landing again. So last year we went from Mennonite landing to Stymac area, which is the direction the Mennonites went when they first established. Um, and then it was exactly the next year that a couple of the farmers wanted to look for better land. So they crossed the Red River and kind of went into the Winkler area. Um, and so we figured this year, let's start at Mennonite landing and then head kind of toward the Winkler area. Uh, and do 100k so it was just ended up being uh, me and and one of my running friends Greg Penner also from Steinbeck who ran it but no we we chugged along and ran 100k started bright and early in the morning and shut her down once the watch set 100 kilometers
1: nice and like how did that go for you I think I saw it was like eight hours and low like 802 or something that's amazing it
0: was yeah no we we took a couple of of breaks where I think we did stop the watches um, uh, but it was about nine hour total time, I think, mm-hmm. but, uh, no, we, we ran and we kind of, were kind of thinking right around, I think about that time we started maybe a little bit fast, but it was one of those just times where we could just, you know, it was, it almost seemed like just two friends going on a run yeah. and, uh, you know, we had our families join us and, and kind of crew us later on, but, uh, doing it was, it was actually a very nice day. I mean, we ran a lot of just dirt roads mm-hmm. in between fields. It it was just so cool. And and then just picturing what life would have been like, like actually settling the land there, like coming Mm -hmm. up out of the river. Now Mm -hmm. there's none of these roads. There's none of these fields. There's none of the, like, there's nothing. There's no homes. There's no farmsteads. There's nothing. Like what it would have been like. So we just let our minds wander all day. Nice. with that. We went through a couple of the other traditional orbit, my Mennonite towns, like kind of historical places, tried to hit up a couple along the way, but uh, no, it was, it was super fun. and, And both Greg and I were able to, to keep moving one foot in front of the mm-hmm. other when it got to, we actually both hit kind of rough patches at slightly different times we we're able to kind of pull each other
1: nice
0: through, through some through some spots but no we're getting to like 70 80 70k 80k and it was starting to get like pretty tough but we kept looking down at splits we're going wow we're still actually moving like, it was, <laughs> like, you know, like you're of those, making this
2: like, sound like it's nothing <laughs> <Yeah. And>
0: I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to make it sound that way but it, it was it was like it was work it was hard work but it was just it was a good time hanging yeah. out with friends the last the last 10, 20, 25 K were, were a haul. Yeah. It, it really was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, anyone who's ran longer than, I mean, my longest run before that was 50 K. Um, and so this I was, was a whole new, yeah. it was a whole new adventure yeah. Yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was a weird thing too, with about 40 K to go. Greg looks at me and is like, oh, yeah, now we just got a marathon to go. And it was like it was
1: <laughs> like a, a chunk <laughs> that weird... your brain can get behind.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It was a chunk that my brain to get behind. that was like, okay, yeah. "No, I can do this. <laughs> yes.
2: Right. It's just 10 10 K's. I mean, 10, just keep 10 doing 10 Ks. K's over and over and over again.
1: Well, but yeah. with the marathon being so aerobic in nature, I have to think that that helped you like a, a very over distance long run (laughs) yeah, could only really help you when it came to the marathon or or am I not seeing that correctly like did you feel like you recovered well from it being your first attempt and it was far enough out from Manitoba like over a month so you had time to Mm -hmm. recover so in the grand scheme of things reflecting back how do you think that training run played into your overall success
0: I think it definitely mentally prepared me because 42 kilometers all of a sudden seemed like Right. I know it's still a beast. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter how far you're running. If you're running to your max, it's still going to, yeah. it's going to hurt the same, yeah. whether yeah. you're doing a 5K yeah. or a 100K. You pace to hurt. a distance, um, or a um, finish line, exactly. no matter what. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, it's going to hurt, but just mentally going through some lows on that run and just being able to keep putting one foot in front of the other yeah. and do it together in a, in a relaxed setting. Yeah. Like it wasn't a race, right? We were just going out for a, for a Saturday morning run you know we stopped our watches when we reached 100k yeah. um and so And I
2: imagine running on dirt roads probably was a little bit more oh, kind to your body too than it would have been
0: on the Very pavement. much so. Yeah. Uh we there's a couple moments where we hit pavement later on for even just like a kilometer like it was just like oh this like Yeah. We ran the first probably 40k on pavement or hard pack gravel and then we hit a lot of a lot of dirt road after that and it was very enjoyable on the feet. <laughs> Very <laughs> enjoyable on the feet. Yeah.
1: And so, no basketball in the hundred k attempt. No okay.
0: No, and <laughs> I haven't gone on a one training run with one since. <laughs> I'm done with that thing. <laughs>
2: Actually, that's a good. I was gonna ask that yeah. question too. Yeah, like what's next with the basketball? Are you
1: gonna be juggling while ba- while bouncing a basketball or
0: something? <laughs> yeah. No, it's on display at school now. That's I that's was gonna say. To say a is a it on
1: display somewhere prominent? Oh, yeah. that's great. That it's it's yeah. retired and uh, like up somewhere for for the. Kids. Kids to see and inspiring the next generation of of basketball runners. <laughs> did you sign it? Did you autograph it?
0: I did not sign it. I wrote world like I wrote like world world record and I put my time on there uh-huh, and stuff. Uh-huh. But uh, but funny to that one. So I haven't gone dribbling since. But we went uh, our family went on a on a walk slash bike ride or whatever, and my my six year old took out a basketball and he dribbled it for the two mile walk. So I was like, <laughs> oh, wow. he's gonna get my he's gonna get my record after that.
2: That's pretty amazing. So actually on that note, you know, before we, before we wrap up, I am a bit curious just about the, the, you know, the real life aspect to this, you know, dribbling a basketball or not, you're obviously a dedicated runner that you love doing it and you like the long distances. So how does a, a PE teacher, father of four balance, you know, your training, your work, your family, where do you fit it all in? And do you find it a challenge ever, or is it something you've mastered
0: <laughs> not something I've mastered I can never master time balance if you can let me know um <laughs> <laughs> I actually kind of got into running and picked it picked it up again um from other sports actually when I started a family and I didn't have time I was playing soccer at a pretty competitive level and uh you know balancing team sports and family wasn't going to work mm. I'm I you know because you're balancing other people's schedules yep. also in there and so running was a sport where I could base my training around my life, not my life around my training. Um, and I've and I've had to constantly remind myself of that 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 it is like the moment that running is going to take up, start taking over family time, I'm 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 done. I, it's not that's it's not what it's what it's about. Um, I'm enjoying it again. Like I said, I love competing, but that's not that's what my family is is and my and my sanity in life is. Way more important than, than running. Now running helps my sanity, uh, but uh, the family is definitely more important to me. But no, I get up, um, I get up in the mornings um, and go for a run before the kids wake up. I obviously I stay active with my job being a phys ed teacher. Um, can often get a couple miles in with my grade four running club uh, during lunch sometimes, and uh, in the springtime anyway. Try to you know save my super long runs for Saturday mornings, and that's how this guy balance tries to balance life anyway.
1: Well, it sounds like you're doing a pretty good job, even though, yes, I agree that uh, concept of balance is <laughs> quite elusive for most of us anyway. So, um, so what's next? Do you have anything, you know, coming up on, on the horizon, anything to get you through the long Manitoba winters um, with sanity?
0: Oh, yeah. So what's next? Uh, not a whole lot. We're a couple of friends of ours uh, are in Steinbeck in uh, Thanksgiving weekend. where we're doing uh we did a little knockoff off of the beer mile. We're doing a pierogi mile. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's uh, so that's so
1: that is
0: that is what's next on the calendar. Um
1: Okay, and is it <laughs> is it like a beer mile in the sense like you throw down pierogies, you run a lap? Like what
0: Oh yeah, that's exactly mm-hmm. how it's gonna work. How many do you have between? I, I think two two pierogies Just two.
2: Come on, you uh, could do a dozen
0: between each lap. A, yeah, well, okay. So that's what's next on the calendar. After oh, that, yeah, it's just the winter. And I slug it through and then. Uh, that,
1: sound, that sounds better than the milk mile.
0: Oh, that would be. Oh, yeah. Be cool.
1: Well, we normally end uh, every episode with just a few fun questions. No need to elaborate, just rapid fire. So the mm-hmm. first question is Do you have a favorite mantra? Was there something that got you through the Manitoba Marathon basketball dribbling fiasco the other week, or something else that you say to yourself that uh, works?
0: Yeah, well my my running mantra, well and my life mantra in general is uh choose between what you want now and what you want most. Mm. That is my that's my discipline mantra uh in life in general. So, yeah. Choose between what you want now and what you want most.
2: That's a bit of a spin off of my favorite mantra or one of them, which is pay now or pay later. Mm-hmm. But I like how you put that, now or most. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what is your favorite place to run? Where do you go on those Saturday mornings that you just need to escape?
0: Give me a nice, you know, rural, isolated dirt or gravel road. I'm a happy guy. Just no vehicles. Just let me run on an open road.
1: Yes. I think awesome. those, um, yeah. those gravel road runs are like the best kept secret <laughs> ever. So, and I'm sure you've got lots of them out uh, around where you live. We got, too.
0: Uh, right outside. I live on a gravel road in the nice. country, so it works right, out. Is
1: well. it exactly one mile to the next road? I was just, just going to say, go. is it perfect, <laughs> yes. Yes. perfectly uh-huh. squares? square They are square.
0: They are very square.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, do you have a race on your bucket list that you still want to do?
0: ultimate like dream bucket list race would be i'm a bit of a history guy so doing the athens marathon i think would be mm-hmm. would be pretty fantastic going from marathon to athens finishing in the old olympic stadium and i also i would love to actually go do an ultra yet eventually sometime in my life you did really an ultra it, <laughs> it
1: just didn't count
0: you <laughs> i want to do a race in the rockies there we'll call it that
2: oh wow! <laughs> well. come to calgary i'll show you some amazing places to run okay so do you have a favorite running book or movie
0: uh well let's say both book and movie uh unbroken the story of mm. uh louis Zapparini. love that yes. story love his life uh what he went through during during the war and then also afterwards uh fantastic fantastic story i don't know if, i think it's a running yeah we'll call it a running movie he was a runner
2: <laughs> yes he was he was in the olympics himself wasn't yeah. he before yeah. um he was captured and yeah. i remember listening to that audiobook when i was training for some ultra it got me through hours and hour and hours. I think it's it's one of the longest books I've listened to, but um, the movie's amazing too.
1: Yeah. Very inspiring. Excellent. And final question: Do you have a favorite post-run indulgence?
0: After a race, it's pizza and ice cream. <laughs> that's that's what I go. That's what I go to. Yeah. And salt and vinegar chips as well. Yes. Pizza, ice cream, salt and vinegar chips. We're good to go. But that's after a race, <laughs> not, yes. not, not just during normal training phases. Awesome.
1: Hopefully not too
0: much.
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, this has just been such a fun uh, interview, such a fascinating interview. What you did truly is incredible. Like you were saying, it, it's different in a sense than dressing up in the costume and trying to run. Like just having that skill-based thing that you're doing at mm-hmm. the same time as a skill-based thing is just absolutely mind-blowing. And 250 33 everyone 250 33 for a marathon dribbling a basketball congratulations we can hardly wait to follow along with you and see what you get up to next so thanks again for coming on the show
0: not a problem thank you so much for having me